fallen servant. History. Be without fear in the face of your enemies. History. Speak the truth. History makers. Safeguard the helpless. That is your own. You can do it. I'm your host, Matt Prater. Today we're talking to Pastor Rhonda May from New Hope, Hawaii, former senior and founder minister of uh, Westminster Foursquare Church in Vancouver, Canada. She's also been author of several books, a former radio host, and she's got some great stories to tell. Welcome, Pastor Rhonda. Thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm glad I can be here with you. It's nice to have met you here in, in my lovely island, too. You've been in Hawaii for a couple of years now. Tell us why you've come to this beautiful island. Well, I actually came here... For many different reasons other than anybody else would come, I never had a desire to go to Hawaii. I'm not a hot weather person, but I fell in love with the people here, and I fell in love with the ministry here at New Hope. So consequently, I've been coming back and forth for several years. And then I came over on a couple of months sabbatical two years ago, and while I was here, Pastor Wayne asked if I would consider moving over to work full-time with him. And it was a hard decision in some ways. I knew it was God, and I knew there was... It was very perfectly at peace at making the decision, but I was leaving a church that I'd planted, uh, people that I'd won to the Lord, my my babies, as well as a traveling ministry, because I was traveling and speaking all over the world at that point. I was doing two to three international trips a month. So I did not come to Hawaii for the weather. I love the beaches, but I also like my air-conditioned office, my air-conditioned car, and my air-conditioned apartment. So I came here for very different reasons than most people, but I'm very happy here and love what I'm doing. Well, now you planted and pastored a church in Vancouver, Canada, Westminster Church, Foursquare Church. Uh, tell us, is that where you grew up? I actually grew up uh, up the coast from Vancouver in a little tiny, and I mean tiny, town. People say, well, doesn't it bother you being stuck here on this island? Well, I grew up in a town that was more isolated. You could not, you could not drive in or out. And you had to either fly or you could drive, take a ferry, drive again, take another ferry and drive some more. That was the only way you could get there. And it was population uh, about 8,000. So Hawaii is huge to where I grew up. But I left home when I was quite young to go to university. And then I went overseas and lived overseas for several years where I did some of my studies. And I moved to Africa after that. And then finally ended up back in Vancouver. So eventually I, I lived in Vancouver, but I wasn't from there. And tell us a little bit about your faith journey. Um, when I was a young child, I went to church with my grandmother. My family, my parents, my brothers didn't go to church, but my grandmother did. And so I used to go with her, and I liked to get involved in everything. So I, I, they used to say I'd join the Boy Scouts if they would have let me. So everything at the church that was going on, I joined. And while I was in the choir when I was six years old, the Lord very clearly spoke to me that he was calling me to preach. And I went, I was so excited, I went to tell the, the minister, it was a very traditional church, so I went to tell the minister after, and he looked at me and he said, Rana, he said, that couldn't be God. And I said, well, why? And he said, because God doesn't speak that way. And he most certainly would not say that to you, because you're going to grow up to be a woman. I said, well, yes, I know that. He said, well, women don't preach. I said, well, God said. I was six years old, and he was this great big guy, and I, God said. And he said, well, you couldn't have heard God. He said, you could sing in the choir. You could maybe lead the children's ministries or even look after the women's ministries. I said, no. God said he was calling me to preach. He said, well, maybe in the jungles of Africa as a missionary. I said, well, why could I preach to the natives of Africa if I can't preach to my own people? And I walked off mad. <laughs> and so I 
I just kept going to church for a while, but when I got away to university, I started looking in all sorts of other directions, and I think I read every book on every religion there was, and then finally when I was 17, I actually received the Lord and had a very personal relationship with Him, and from that time on, I knew that the calling that was on my life from the time I was a very little girl, that in some way, I was going to be fulfilling it, although the studies that I was pursuing at that time were in the area of education. You know, I did a Bachelor of Education degree, and then I went and did my Master's in Music in France, completely different than theology. But I knew it. I also needed to get in and do my theology, so I went to did my th- theology degree as well. So that's where I sort of started, and I went down to Africa after that on a music contract and started out doing evangelism work. I did programs in the orphanages and hospitals and prisons and schools and leper colonies, and from there on, I never stopped. Now, I always love to ask this question because I'm very excited about hearing the uh, responses. If there's someone listening right now that isn't a Christian and might think, yeah, I think I do want to do do something about getting closer to God, what would your advice be to them? What would my advice be if they wanted to start getting closer to God? One, to get into fellowship, to get into relationship with people that are, to get into the Word of God and see who God really is. Because a lot of times people hear one thing, Oh, this is God, this is what you have to do, this is what you must do, you've got to change this, get rid of that, drop that. When really God is a very different picture when we get to know Him through His Word. Yes, there are things that He asks of us, but He does it in a lot different way than most people do. Now, you showed me an article as we were speaking before this interview in a newspaper that said the pastor and the pimp. Do you want to tell us what that interview, what that article's all about? No, I wasn't prostituting, okay? <laughs> what happened was the church that I pastored in Canada, the one I planted 16 years earlier, uh, we had a very large outreach to the homeless, to the drug addicts, to the prostitutes, and consequently things got a little rough sometimes and we were working with one of the girls she'd been clean for six months she'd come out of a drug addiction and she'd been prostituting since she was 13 years old for this for several different pimps and this pimp had just finished purchasing her from another pimp when she left and came to know the lord and got very involved in the church and through a whole series of events they found her six months later kidnapped her uh abducted her sexually, um, gang-raped her, actually, filled her full of drugs, and the pimp sent her out with a couple of clients that night to help pay off the debt that she owed him for the $3,000 he'd bought her for from this other pimp. And in the whole process, she finally came She came back to us the next morning. I, I went and picked her up as she was hidden behind a bush, hiding, trying to ke- escape the pimp. And she went to the police, turned in the pimp. He was being held without bail. And so a lot of things went on. The pimp ended up attacking me and threatened my kids, and we had to go into hiding during the trial. Um, the police actually wanted, suggested the witness protection program. She was in the witness protection program. But they told me that I could never return to doing what I was doing again, which was ministry. I couldn't do it if, as long as I chose to go into the witness protection program. And I mean, I couldn't do that. You know, I, I said, I can't. You know, it's not a job to me. It's my life. And so they gave me a few other options because they knew that would be my response. But in the meantime, the, I was attacked by the pimps, three of, the, three of his assistants, and they broke my leg. And so when I went into hiding, I had a cast from ankle to hip. It was that badly broken in two places. And consequently, when I had to disappear because nobody could know where we were and where I was, the police said, you get out of here with your kids and until it's time for the trial, then come back, stand as a witness, and leave again until it's safe. So nobody could know. One, because if the girl found out that we were protecting, that I'd been hurt because of it, she would have dropped the charges to protect me, and we didn't want that. 
And as well, it would have been very difficult if people knew where we were, because then they could have found me. And so the police wanted to kept very hush-hush. My husband knew where we were, and my secretary. And other than that, other than the police, no one knew where we were. So rumors started to spread all over the city. I mean, it was hilarious. One rumor, you know, I'd taken off. I'd embezzled church funds. Now, a church with an outreach to the poor and a daily feeding program, when the basis of the church is the poorest of the poor, you know finances aren't there to escape anywhere, let alone... I mean, I didn't have a dollar twenty-five to go from one suburb to the other, let alone <laughs> escape to Hawaii with church funds. So all of these different rumors that had spread when nobody knew really where I was. And so when I came back, the radio, the newspaper that had done a lot of articles on our work, because it was very well known in the city with our outreach, she wanted to know what was going on. She says, I've heard all of these rumors. She says, I know they're not true, but could I get your side? And because it was a very delicate issue, it was, um, I told her, yeah, you can do the interview, but you cannot publish it unless you have my permission first. And I said, I need to see the article because there's some very delicate details. My kids are involved, and some of the things are still in the court. So she agreed to that, that she'd let me read the article first. So she did, and finally it became a safe enough time that it could be printed. But I never saw the title of the article. So the head, headline of the newspaper comes out, The Pastor and the Pimp. I tell you, I wanted to die. But then when the, the, the prostitutes started reading this, they said, Pastor and a Pimp, oh! And they started reading it, but they realized through that article that people did care, that there were people that were willing to go through any type of danger or difficulty to stand with them, to protect that girl. And consequently, a lot of others that were used to Christians saying, oh, I love you, but when the times get tough, oh, I'll be praying for you and walk off and leave them and abandon them. And when they saw that we were willing to go to any extent, a lot of them wanted help. And we got hundreds of phone calls. Just through that one article, the very first couple of days, over 175 girls came off the street. Within a, a week, there was over 300. And everybody in my church had girls sleeping on their couches, on their living room rugs, anywhere you could think of. They were sleeping there. And finally, we had nowhere else we could put them. So this friend of mine that managed a very large, uh, the, you know, the wealthy, you have to be a millionaire type person to be a member of this private club, she organized a meeting. And she had all the judges and lawyers and doctors and anybody in town that had any type of money at all, they had at this meeting and asked me to come in and speak and explain the need. And because of that whole situation, we now have two transition homes in the city for girls coming off the streets. And it's a miracle because we never had one before that. And I kept asking God, well, why? You know, I'm serving you. Why did this happen to happen, have to happen to me? Now, I know I made some mistakes along the way. Through it all, even what the enemy meant for harm, the Lord took and turned for good for his glory to see all those girls come off the street. And now those transition homes are still there. So it's been awesome. Now, tell us a bit about yourself. What kind of books are you into reading? I am a fanatic when it comes to reading. And I've spent a lot of time over the years, every book I can find on the old revivals, I want to get my hands on. Because I love seeing what God was doing and the common threads that run through when revivals broke out, as well as the threads that came through as to why they weaned, why they died off. And you see a lot of very common issues between the different revivals. The hunger and the passion that people had for God and a heart that was willing to do anything that God asked before that revival broke forth. A willingness to, as he said, do whatever he wanted. If he said, stay in this building until I tell you to leave, people that were willing to stay. That's what happened with the Hebrides revival. Duncan Campbell went up 
And um, when he went into the building, the people, the meeting was over. He arrived late, and he got up there, walked into the church, and all of a sudden people from all over the village started coming back. Not because anybody called them, but because God told them to go back to the building. And Duncan said, we are to stay here until God tells us that we are finished and we may go. And they stayed for, I can't remember the exact period of time, but it was an extended time. Nobody left. Not one person gave an excuse. Well, you know, i got to go to work, or my kids are waiting at home, or I've got to go because I've got to go and get something to eat. Nobody left. People in the village, some of them brought food in. Others took care of people's kids. But not one person that was there when Duncan gave the word, nobody is to leave, left. Not one. Now, if you or I gave that word in our church today, how many people do you think would actually stay? Not a lot. But that's the type of heart that God was looking for, people that were willing to do anything. So those I love reading those books. I like reading a lot of leadership books. Um, those are some of my favorites. I also heard you mention before a little bit about how you learned to speak Spanish. This is an amazing story. God actually gave me Spanish supernaturally. I never studied it. I never took a class in my life, actually, in Spanish. But I went down to speak at a conference, a very large conference in Buenos Aires, and I was supposed to, they were supposed to have a translator for me. And I got to the church. I was taken to the pastor's office. He spoke no English. We had two phrases in English, and I had no Spanish. So we exhausted our conversation very quickly. And all we could do was sit there and smile at each other. So finally, he had to go and preach, because I couldn't. And I just prayed, and I said, God, you brought me here to learn, and you brought me here to give. And I can't do anything unless you either give me the language or give me a translator. And I went upstairs, and I started to understand the whole sermon. Three hours later, I had to preach in Spanish. I was there for ten days, and I did two to four services a day in Spanish. At the end of that trip, the pastor and some other ministers from down there were flying up to Miami to do some programming with TBN in Miami. And I ended up translating between the main pastor from Argentina and the station manager in Miami because they had no one to translate. And from that day on, I've been using Spanish consistently. I've now spoken in every Spanish-speaking country in the world. And I also do a lot of translating. I've done a lot of translation of Pastor Wayne Cordero's materials, as well as when we have pastor's conferences here. I do the translating for those. And So when God does it, he does it well. I can read it, write it. No problem. Okay, so how do you say, I want to be a history maker in Spanish? Quiero ser un hacedor de historia. Quiero ser un Oh, no, I can't do it. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Ronnie. You certainly are a history maker. God bless you. Thank you. You're welcome. Que Dios te bendiga. If you'd like to hear this interview again or find out more information, please go to historymakersradio.com. Thanks for joining us. History Makers.